Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today we're hanging out in Redding, California. Ethan and I are getting to speak with kind of one of our heroes, Cyril Deramieu. Deramieu? Help me out. So he's a French guy, and I don't. Cyril Deramieu is how I think I heard him say it at the end of a podcast. Cyril Deramieu. Okay. Regardless, the guy is a legend. He just paddled his kayak from Monterey all the way to Hawaii and spent 91 days at sea in this custom-built boat. And he's going to tell us a little bit about the story. But before we bring him on, I think it's uh would be kind of fun for Ethan and I to tell a little background and kind of our side of why we're so interested in what he did. Well, the first thing is I'm completely fanned out. Um, like, I, for all of that expedition, I had a whole browser page open. Um, Twitter it was the only reason I had Twitter on my phone, basically, was to follow because that got the most quick blog posts that he put out. And there's several podcasts that he's been on already, which you and I have listened to. So we put those in the show notes today because we didn't want to just force Cyril to say the same things he's been saying. We wanted to try to get into it a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, the trip is amazing in that there's just so many elements to it, not only just paddling, but the boat is unique, Valentine. Uh, there's so much preparation and then the mental componentry of it. I think all of us have some parts in our life where we're like, yeah, I better turn and commit to this now. And I mean, he had so many of those moments. So there's the, just the it, ultimate of that, like literally water coming up into his craft hundreds of miles offshore and making that decision. Okay. I can either address the situation and fix it or I can turn back. And how many of us would turn back in that moment? That's what makes this guy unique is he didn't. He, he fixed the problem and kept going. It, yeah, it, when it, his ability to, you know, reframe or take a moment and not make a decision in the panic moment. I know I make decisions in panic moments. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I got to turn around. This trip's no good. I'm going home. I mean, this is just with a truck with running on gasoline. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> on I-5. <laughs> it informed me. Even this morning I was inspired. I, I'm thinking about doing a trip myself and, you know, I have fear around it. And some of the things he shared in this conversation, you know, uh, had me re rethinking, you yeah. know, and, and like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think for me, it's the endurance aspect. I'm, uh, I tend to be more of a sprinter type. Like if I spend 12 miles on my kayak, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get out of this thing and, uh, go get some hot tea and do something else. Um, but the way he talks about pushing through and doing hard things and covering so many miles in a day, and it's just like, man, we're capable of so much more than we allow ourselves to accomplish. And for me, it makes me want to push myself a little harder, go a little harder, go a little longer, and uh, see what I can do. So everybody, Cyril has a couple things that we're going to mention before. He has a wonderful paddle sports pro shop online store called On The Water 360. If you're into performance, endurance, race, or just want some of the best gear out there, check that out. Yeah, he curates this stuff, and we talk about it a little in the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning before. He's done it all, and he knows the stuff that works, and so he's curated products specifically for the task at hand, for adventure racing, for performance paddling, and this is the best stuff. So if you want to kind of bypass the research and know you're buying something from a reputable guy that knows the sport inside and out, On the Water 360 is a fantastic website, and it goes to support adventures like these. This is becoming so important now. This morning, you and I over coffee typed in kayak paddle on Amazon, and the first like 
400 options were things that we'd never seen before. You you don't know what necessarily what you're buying anymore. And, you know, if you go on to these large sort of distribution channels, it is about now hoping that the person that's running a business you can trust that have already done the filtering for you. So that's why we want to support uh, websites like On the Water 360. Another really cool place to check out Morisiro, because I just really was inspired by his speaking, is his own podcast, which is I Really Want to Do This. And he has conversations one-on-one with people that just stimulate him that have done uh, beautiful things in their life and kind of what models and modalities they use to get to it. And uh, I found that inspirational. And so I wanted to share that one as well. All right, man. Well, enough of us blabbing around. We're excited to bring Cyril on the podcast, and uh, we hope you enjoy this as much as we did. Well, guys, I'm really happy to be on the podcast and and share the adventure and the spirit of adventure. Um, well, you know, I I'm French. I was born in France until um, maybe my 18th year. So I've never moved from my little town, and then after I actually lived in Arkansas for one year as an exchange student. And I was 12th grade, so I, I was a kicker. But I loved the little town spirit, but also I loved living overseas and learning a new language and a new culture. So from then, I decided, okay, I'm just going to try to travel as much as I can. So I did a, a a business degree in international business. It was a year in Oxford, England, a year in Madrid, Spain, and a year in Paris. After that, I decided to keep going and learn after Spanish and English. I learned Italian. I moved to Milan for a year and a half. And and then after that, I said, okay, well, I can start working like everybody else, or I can just take a, a year off <laughs> at the very beginning. Now that I'm not, I don't have money, but I have time. And after I'm going to have money, but I want to have time. So I want to take 12 months, and I went backpacking around the world for a year. A uh, wow. trip cost me $7,000, believe it or not. Everything included flights, hotels, visits. So That's I incredible. love this. I fell in love with Brazil, so... Uh, then I said, okay, I'm going to go to Brazil for six months. And I taught English, played soccer. Um, so that was my fifth language, Portuguese. And after that, I went back to France for a year. I got a first job, but I didn't really like it. I mean, it's not exciting. I need to go overseas again. So then I found a company that sent me to Argentina for a year and a half in Mendoza. And that, that was in the barrel industry, like uh, starting a subsidiary of a French company in in um you know french oak barrels and that's how i got into the the wine business and after i went back to france then i already had a kid that was married and i moved to santa rosa california uh sent by a, a french company also to run their subsidiary in in santa rosa that was in a wine business so in the wine business i never realized that yeah 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 i was Funny. for 12 years in the wine business so in Santa Rosa, I was running a subsidiary. We were doing consulting in the wine wine side, wine making side of the business. So from grape to bottle and had a few experts under me. I was running the business as a, uh, you know, a general manager, but then I got to be tasting wine all the time. And that's, uh, you know, I went all over California tasting to 30 wines a day. That was, I mean, that's great. Somebody's got to do this. You know? <laughs> And uh, so I moved to California. I was 32, and that's what how what got me into paddling. Before that, I never paddled before. A friend of mine from Fiji, Tavita, said, "Hey, Cyril, there's this club, uh, you know, under the Golden Gate called Tema Pais Outrigger. You should come with us. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's 
Polynesian canoes and started to do that. I was hooked. And little by little, I just did longer and longer distances. And um, so to make a long story short, <laughs> I started, you know, a race of eight mile uh, around Alcatraz and oh, I loved it. And then I did another longer one. And the next one was a Catalina crossing. So uh, part of a six man outrigger canoe, we did the, you know, the change the, from Newport Beach to Catalina. And that was five hours. And that was a blast. I loved it. And the next step would be the Molokai Hoi. So that's a race from the island of Molokai to Oahu. And that took me a year, but I was paddling for three years when I did that one part of the team. And you're like, okay, that's 43 miles. How am I going to train for that? It's probably six hours of paddling and, you know, it's, uh, it requires water change. So trained for that, had a blast. I did that race four times. And then slowly, you know, with the friends, we just had new ideas. Of, How about this one? It's called the California 100. It's 100 miles down the Sac River. You know, uh, from your, your part of the woods up there. Yeah. Um, it's my backyard. Reading. Yes. Love it. Did that. It was a two man river canoe in 12 hours and loved it. Um, you know, it was different than ocean paddling, a different vessel, but I, I loved it. And I, after 12 hours, I felt actually pretty good. So next thing is, okay, what, what next? You know, and this is California. This is the U.S. Anything you want to do, your dream, let's do it. So. That was this okay. race up in Canada. You, you know, you had the Yukon River Quest, and that's 444 miles. So that's that's a different chart. Like how, and we had friends who had done it before, as this friend David Kelly and and, and this friend of mine I called Thunder Johnny uh, Johnny Eason had done it, and uh, we just called him. Hey, how, how can we get in? Well, you know, there you go. That's that's what you do. It's about 55 hours, something like that. Um, and this river, it's wilderness. So it's, you know, and, and as you get to longer and longer distances, then you learn about hydration and managing your effort and, and the right gear. Um, so we did that. We got second place on a six month Voyager. So it's a, it's a almond shape kind of river canoe, typical to Canada. Love that race. So I did it another two times, um, on a four man and C4 and a C2. So you've um, always done this as like a team sport. Everything you've told me so far has been with other paddlers in the boat, which is oh, so yeah, different yeah, yeah. than our background. <laughs> right. So it's then, solitary. Yeah. Sorry. I, I should let you speak. I was speaking too much, but you, you stopped me. <laughs> no, not at all. So it, I think it's good to explain the background because I only started paddling, paddling 12 years ago, you know? Yeah. So the, the next one was this website that says you don't have to be a rower to cross an ocean. So. I looked at it and said, okay, I ne never rode I did canoeing mostly, you know, either it's outrigger canoe or river canoe, but I never did rowing. So then I start to learn how to row and skull on in the pit of my river, you know, from uh, that, you know, that little Sheraton down muddy river. And there you go. I was in and we tried to, uh, to find a team that we say, okay, well, the record is 43 days. Um, if I do that once in my life, I, I got to try to be the record, you know, a little bit complicated <laughs> next year. So we got a team of like amazing guys. I was the only non-roar. Um, I had two years of sculling, but it's not really, you know, it takes a long time to learn the skill if you want to do it properly, obviously. So, um, there was Carlo from San Jose and the American guy. I was the French guy and Chago from Brazil with whom I had done the Molokai Hoi uh, twice and I knew very well. And clicked like a brother and there was Fian from Iceland who already had a Guinness record for the fastest Indian 
ocean crossing and the Atlantic Ocean crossing. So, uh, and Carlo from San Jose was actually um, a rower all through university. He was actually a coach at university at UC Davis uh, for the rowing team. So amazing experience. And Chago was like a champion in juniors in, in Brazil. So, so we we did. We got 39 days across the ocean. And, uh, you know, that's uh, really, really hard. It's two hours on, two hours off, two hours on, two hours off, all day, all night. And wow. trying to, to be the record. So then I learned so much about navigation at sea, survival at sea, uh, all the gear that you need, you know, for communication, for the VHF. Um, um, and then I learned to, to love the ocean, but far from the coast. But... Even though I, you know, I finished and I said, okay, never again. This is so too hard. Excuse me. I almost use your French word, but <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, never again. And then I started surf skiing most. So that was back in 2016. And I did surf ski. You know, I started my own business where I was selling paddling gear uh, because then it was all about paddling and just loved it. And I, I really wanted to have a lifestyle. That would allow me to do other adventures like this because the crossing was 39 days. And, and you know, how do you break? Yeah, how do you take vacation for so much? In that case, I had taken two years, no vacation for two years, so I could go on the ocean. But then after that, okay, I need to, I need to try to organize my life a little bit better so I can maybe have my own company. So then I can take a break whenever I want. And I really want to create a company that would be self-working. You know, I could also travel more and uh, working on the computer. So I, I started this online store. Um, Everyone, that's on the water 360 and buzzing around. You know, it's focused on performance paddling gear. And Yeah, that's just, correct. Basically, the idea was really simple. You could go to buy a PFD, uh, like a, you know, survival wet, a suit that, REI, but then it wouldn't be for paddlers. Or you could buy pants or, you know, waterproof pants. It wouldn't be for paddlers or gloves. It wouldn't be good enough. So because I had spent so much time training for the Yukon and for the, I said, okay, I, I want to create this website where it's buy a paddler for paddlers. And it might be a little bit more expensive because I want the highest quality, but you guys are, you know, are never going to be disappointed and you're going to buy the pants and Three years later, you'll still have the pants, but you come back for the top or you come back for the paddle or for the, you know, stuff. So that's the idea. Yeah. That reminds um, me a lot of like what you, what Ethan's doing. He's got a little online store called happypaddling.com. It's basically just his curated kit that he's used and dialed in over the years and the stuff yeah. that kind of, you know, is going to work because you've used it on all these, you know, trips and expeditions. Yeah. And, and totally. Cool. And, and the community trusts you, you know, they, they actually want to help you. And this is something else about California in general is that if you show that you have a willingness to start your own business, people will even buy a bit more expensive from you because they know you and they want to support you. It's like going yeah. to the farm next door and buy the eggs that are more expensive than any supermarket. But you know the guy, you know, and I love this spirit of, of helping little people. Uh, we didn't mean to sidetrack you, but I think it's just such a neat thing. I'm I'm really intrigued for you going as you got into paddling, went kind of right into the endurance and the racing side. I'm from Minnesota originally and more of a canoe tripping boundary waters. And so were you always competitive that way? Uh, growing up, you said competitive soccer, obviously. So 
did you just kind of always have a knack, knack for pushing yourself? I mean, clearly you have a, no, a knack. I mean, not really. I, I played soccer. I mean, look at the countries I went to. Brazil, Argentina, <laughs> Italy, Spain, France. It's soccer everywhere. Sure. So when I came here, yeah, I didn't. I'm, I'm, we're pretty much, I'm looking at you too. You know, we have the same physique. We're not the strongest. We're not the most, the fastest on the water, but here in the head that you can master, you could be as good as anybody, Sure. you know, and that's, that's what I realized when I finished my first Yukon, these guys that have been paddling for a long time and super strong as one guy, Tony, he's done 18 Molokai Hoi, you know, wow. so amazing paddlers and they finished like, like like a zombie a little bit like hurting and i was up there i'm always stroking in the front uh you know because i set the pace and again i'm not very strong but i can keep going i keep the, the same pace and the consistency and it's all up in the head you know between the, the ears so then i said okay i'm i'm gonna try to and i enjoyed it i enjoyed it being within nature so i'm you know i've got a thing which is a lot of people try to look for happiness and you can't what is happening? Is having a, a bigger car and you know, like a, a better job and like a bigger career or a bigger house, and whatever it's, it's, you're chasing happiness, but you can't find what it is. But my trick is find a vibration. What, what makes you vibrate? Like you do one thing and if you're like loving it, you know, Dan, I saw you on the water the other day. Uh, where's your, where's your, kayak and going against the current like like these guys having fun you know and <laughs> seriously you don't have to look further than that like if you're having a good time and it doesn't have to be paddling it could be you have friends over and you're having good great time to do do more of that like you like to paint do more of that and and i enjoyed long distance paddling you know and and actually pushing my own limits reaching my limits and and then the, the satisfaction and the feeling like is just overwhelming. Like, yeah, it's so good feeling great about yourself and, and doing that with, with friends. Dan, you said, okay, you did everything with friends. So then at some point I said, okay, well, is it because of my friends that I actually do all this? Mm -hmm. Like, is it because they're good? I'm in the boat, but they really am not the best paddler. I'm not, you know, so I, at some point I started to create the idea. Well, I'd like to do a solo trip see what it is. Plus I'm a super, uh, a people's person. I, I'm, I'm extrovert. I love people. Like if I watch a sunset or sunrise alone, it's good, but I'm not going to have a, a, like I have my girlfriend next to me and we watch it together. Does it make like so much better? Yeah. You share it. I, I want to share everything with friends. So I thought, okay, well maybe I, that'd be good for me to do something and kind of, kind of see how I do alone. So came and I read a few books about kayakers and, and how, you know, it's been really seldom done. It's, there's a lot of rowers across the ocean, maybe 600, 700, 800, but kayakers is less than 10, you know? So then I started to look at their crafts and read all their books. There's Peter Bray who crossed the North Atlantic. I read his book. Scott Donaldson who crossed Desmond Sea from Australia to New Zealand. I read his book. Ed, Ed Gillette, you know, who crossed from yeah, California to Hawaii. read his book. And I called them. I spoke to Scott. I spoke to Peter Bray. You know, it's, 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 that's great that you can actually call them and speak to them. Hey, tell me about your adventure. 
and 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 there it is you know that the seed was born in my head and once it starts i can't take it out <laughs> clearly <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh, amazing and in the planning that that took place uh we were talking before this dan and i about you know it starts with with the boat and uh the gentleman that built your boat hadn't built a craft like this in how long uh you know 20 years 20 years so did he have did he have molds stored away mothballed no, or was it no. all fresh mold i uh, had the design um his name is rob filoy and it goes organically you know i read peter bray's peter bray's crossing and he went from canada to ireland in 76 days took it to two attempts and he had a boat, so I called him and said, did you like your boat? Yeah, that was great. I never capsized. It's good. And I talked to other people, and I said, okay, I'm going to call Rob Filoy. I called Rob, and he's crossing Peter Bray. was in 2001. He arrived September 9th, 2001, two days before the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And that's why nobody knew about it, because there was other news on, on the, like, mm-hmm. more important. So I called Rob Filoy. I said, hey, would you build a boat, um, you know, he said, "Yeah, but I don't have a, sh- a shop. I don't. I'm, I'm retired. It was 20 years ago. No, I'm, I'm sure. done. Yeah, okay. We started, you know, ask back and forth, and I said, well, you know, there's really little people, little builders that can do it. So that would really let's talk again. And then we talked again. And I guess I was enthusiastic enough that he said, okay, I'll build the boat. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he was working with a, a, a maritime designer that created the hull, and you know, on on a uh, on a software." Cat. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. So he had that to start with, and then we we brainstormed for several months about okay, do we put the cabin in the aft or in the front, or do we do we change something? Do we improve something? And I wanted to have a a, a pedal system so that I wouldn't be like Ed Gillette arriving with my legs atrophied, and I wanted to add you know safety things and then everything that was upgraded to back to 2001 and my experience you know all the the gear and stuff um, um from my first crossing um and then you know you were talking about a project like this it's 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 really creating a small company um mm-hmm. there's the website so there's market marketing side you have to you know show that you have the capacity to do it you have to create a powerpoint to start talking to suppliers and maybe sponsors, you have to create a budget, how much it's going to cost and how you make it happen when the timeline, when you want to make it happen. And then it's all about getting ready for it. So what is going to be the food? What is going to be uh, your training? So start to go to maybe companies that do a VO2 max testing to see where you stand and how you can train better to do those 10 to 12 hours a day. And, and then the mental side of it, how do, how do you know you're going to be, become crazy after 40 days in yeah. the ocean? And then find build a team, you know, um, just like a little company. I needed a weather router. I wanted a professional weather router. So then you talk to several. You try to convince them what I will do it for free, you know. So uh, <laughs> why? You don't have money. Not-for-profit <laughs> company. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then and the same for the medical. You know, how do you learn a medical kit? Or once you have... All the electronics, how do you learn about it? Change the few wires. Who's going to teach you about the batteries and how they, they work and how to fix them? How to, you know, connect your, your items directly to the solar panels or, you know, there's so much to learn. That's you know what? Why... I think, I think about it like this is it's not a whole lot different than sending a man to the moon. 
Like in, 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 <laughs> in essence, right? You're in this little shuttle that's going to cross an entire ocean and you have to be completely self-sustained with everything you need for your health, survival, electricity, uh, propulsion, everything. And then you have to have the ability to fix it while you're out there. And then you have these communications. So you have this like land-based, you know, quote unquote, Houston, that's helping you with your weather. And, but ultimately uh, it's up to you. Yeah. So that puts a tremendous amount of pressure before you go, because you need to be, you need to know your boat inside out. You need to be sure that you're going to be strong mentally, emotionally, and you need to be self-aware. So that's, uh, it's much harder than, than being in a team because if you're even two, the other guy could see, hey, you're having hallucination. You should rest. Or, you know, did you sleep properly? You know, sleep deprived or, you know, okay, you're, you're paddling and I'm going to look at the GPS and see if there's a container ship coming at two o'clock at You have to wake up every hour. I mean, that, that creates a difficulty that is, um, uh, it's much higher more than you could think just to be alone. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, it's, it's exactly that. Everything you take on your boat is what you'll have to fix. So you have to think of option A, B, and C. What if this breaks? And 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 think about alternative scenarios of everything. What if uh, I can't digest or what, what do I eat? You know, if I don't like this type of food, okay, so my plan is going to be variety uh, of different things. You know, uh, what if the water maker breaks? I have this option B. That's a manual one. What if this one breaks? I need to have the the ballast. Okay, how do I put the water in the ballast? I need to buy those bags. How many do I buy? I buy. Where do I store them? Who do I like? Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a it's a big project. But I love this. I love this. You know, yeah. and and again, it's it's what makes me like happy because you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, you've got ideas. Like it could be on Sunday morning, you get up, you go on your Excel spreadsheet and you write things now. Like I need to do this and this and this. And there's nothing better. I mean, of course I don't make money, but it's better than any job. It's better than anything. You know, it's, it's passion. Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming so obsessed with something that you can't uh, get it out of your head. You can't let it go. And, and it yeah. ultimately comes to fruition. I wanted to talk about something on day 12, you mentioned in another podcast, you made the choice where you could either like, all right, I could turn this thing back and head towards Los Angeles, right? Or you can push the right rudder pedal and head to Hawaii, which is ultimately what you ended up doing. But talk us through a little bit about where your head was at in that moment when you're committing to like, all right, I'm doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have to go back in time a little bit and and 2020, my boat should have been ready in March 2020. Okay, and it was ready in England, but then COVID happened and I had been training for a year, right? And that's like three, four hours a day to be ready for that. And the boat is stuck in England. They can't access the boat yard, can't put it in the container ship. So it's postponing one year. Oh, wow. June 2021, the, well, the boat arrived in September. I've got the boat. I train in it. But June 2021, I do the first attempt. I leave from the Golden Gate and I last six days. And three days, great. And the next three days, I'm stuck in the cabin, winds pulling up to 35 miles an hour, gusting 45 foot of 40 foot, 40 foot seas. Oh. 14, 14 foot seas. Yeah, no, 40. Uh, okay. And I mean, it's still super big. I'm only 70 miles offshore and I'm in control for three days. But at some point, so many things happen at the same time that I, I it gets out of hand. 
like my sea anchor gets in, entangled in my rudder, so I go sideways to the wave. It was 10 p.m., boom. And then my AIS, which is the automatic identification system that sends my position to the other boat, to container ship, starts to fail. Like Dave takes me and my land support, and he says, I don't see you on the AIS. You're going to check it out. And I'm, it's fine. I'm on my plotter. So I don't know, but there's something wrong with this. And then because I'm in such big seas, then my communication on the Garmin inreach, you know, that's why I use for texting with a satellite starts to fail or it takes half an hour for me to re- get a message. So stress level goes up a little bit. And then my cockpit outside gets swamped. And normally just press a button. There's a bail, electric bailer comes and it's, stuck with something and it actually ended up to be a, a feather from some, oh, wow. <laughs> some bird so the water gets into the cockpit and i can see you know not sinking but like in your mind you're like fuck excuse me french now we, we've lost our water. meeting long ago yeah yeah so and then i decided okay i i just you know it's dangerous for my life i don't feel safe so i decided to call the coast guard and get rescued so now yeah Take it a year after, after a year of training, I've changed a few things. You know, I did more training in bad weather for one week in Santa Cruz, changed things on the boat. And there I go and everything is ready. Like I know everything. Like I can't fail. There's no way. And I go out day three, my, one of my compartments in my cabin gets flooded. And I say, how did the water come in and came from the back of the boat? One of the steering lines got like, um, it was, it was glued and it was, it moved and then there's the water started to flood and anyway i have water coming into my cabin and i have to so in your when you say cabin this is like the dry place in the back of the kayak where you're yes you're sleeping um, yeah it's, it, it's it's the size of a one-man tent you know those tents that people use for bikepacking the smallest one-man tent yeah i, I uh, was lucky enough to get inside of it at the sea trek yeah. and i was like there's no way yeah. <laughs> and then to think about my feet all of a sudden touching water I mean, your brain has to go to like, oh, crap, I'm sinking oh, yeah. into the ocean. Well, I mean, I know that the boat is unsinkable. Even if it's completely full of water, it'll not sink. You know, I'll, I'll just, it's swamped. Okay. It's not good. I'll have to fight it. But the water, okay, so the, the cabin where I sleep is my cocoon. Yeah. Uh, and if there's anything happening, like I could have like a hurricane, my my boat is going to be safe if I'm in the cabin, the cabin and that is waterproof. Okay. And to have water coming in, like what? I go into problem problems of your mode. I put this sealant, uh, water sealant. It's a uh, 5200 kind of glue. And I make waterproof. But then I, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I say, okay, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Then in the, the next day, I can't deal with that because I'm a little bit overwhelmed, like emotionally. I'm still seasick. I'm sleep deprived. So I say, I'll deal with that later. All the things that are in this compartment, I don't need right now. It's the spare water maker the spare um, Hobie uh, mirrors drive and, and some bags and stuff. So then the steering line starts to be like really like super hard to move and I can't really steer properly. I say, what's going on? So I swim on the back and I don't see anything. So there's nothing in the rudder. I come back and I don't know. I, I have to figure that out. And then the battery started to die because after a week, up the coast, it was really foggy and, and sunny, and not sun at all, but cloudy. So I was still using my water maker, which is the biggest electric consumption. Mm-hmm. And so my batteries were under 80%. Normally, it should have been fine. But in the middle of the night, 
I wake up and it's dark, dark. So you feel so vulnerable. The container ship don't see you. And at that point, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I left from Monterey. So I'm probably like three days, four days in south. So I'm going, getting to, towards maybe San Luis Obispo or something like that. You know, it's still not Los Angeles where there's a lot of traffic, but there could be boats, you know. So what do I do? Do I go out, I look for container ships that come and super stressful? Um, and that night, I think, yeah, you, like you said, it was the like 12 or 14. And it's like, this is not fair. I've trained so much. What? What? Yeah. And, and then you're like, okay, I'm starting again. This is going to be like a 70, 80 day trip. And I'm starting it wrong. My steering, if I lose my steering, what do I do? And I yeah. knew what to, yeah, you know. So for one night, um, I was at the point like, okay, well, if I battle for a week, I'll be in Los Angeles. You know, the current's going to take me. I go east and I'll end up in Los Angeles. I can repair and go. And, but the next day, yeah, there was, yeah, the decision I had taken that is I need to commit. Any compartment needs to float. The boat will still be okay. It's a rubber ducky. Any compartment, I'll be fine. It'll weather any storm, but I'll need to repair. And that's the decision I made where I've thought about everything. If my battery dies, I've got enough AAA batteries for my handheld, um, you know, little Garmin Montana to work. If the watermaker breaks, I have a backup. And I think I really didn't like anything that was unexpected. I w- I'm really good at planning, right. thinking, yeah. maybe, and things that are unexpected, like water in my cabin from this compartment that I didn't really know how to manage well. But, but suddenly I decided I'm going to be committed to the end. And that's how that was key, key, key. I call it the second departure. Without that, you know, like you go into a uh, complete uncertainty. And, and you leave the mark of the 400 nautical miles where the Coast Guard can come and get you. And you have 2000 nautical miles of big ocean. And wow. so that's, that's the adventure, like with a, the capital A point of no return. You know, I, Cyril, the browser with your trip has been on my, was on my computer the first time. And I have three young mm-hmm. kids and I'd be working the emails in the morning. They'd come out. Where is he? And the second Fantastic. trip. Yeah. I, so, you know, we're, we've, I, I feel like I have a, a minor degree in following this, this whole thing. And knowing that the first time, of course, you just got hammered with conditions and the rudder cable. And then we kind of saw, you could see when that turn was made almost and you started the, the okay, he's getting miles. This is going to happen. I mean, it, you know, yeah. you, you probably didn't think that way but you know we're sitting out oh no i did (laughs) yeah mentally uh, mentally my first uh, target was to pass the six day mark Uh to be further than what i had done before and then the next mark would be uh i think the first three weeks because if something breaks it's it's the first three weeks so then i passed that and the next one was 39 days which was my first crossing once i passed the 39 days then okay i had beat my own record of longest time at sea alone and then the next time we, we, next target would be halfway point you know add targets mm-hmm. like this throughout sure that the mental prep that you did i believe you had uh maybe you could talk a bit about that but some uh, uh professional from over in france teaching you about reframing 
And I feel, or I think that was the word you used to reframe that situation, oh, yeah. you know, a situation, mm. I guess this was probably one of the big ones at that day 12, you're leaking, you know, you're, you're getting ready to turn that. And what was it just the morning that, you know, was it a clear day when you woke up and it kind of helped reframe that what, you know, in the evening at night, that must, it was panic. And then that process. Yeah. Reframed. So there's, it's always good that when you're in a bad situation, not to take a decision at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's always good either to have a sleep or take a break or eat something or rest a little bit. Um, mentally, okay, so I always say I'm a regular guy. I'm a, I totally am. Like I'm not a Mike Horn or one of those basic adventures. Like I started pedaling <laughs> not long ago. Um, so I'm I'm a fast learner and... I decided, okay, for the mental side, who do I ask? You know, I always ask people who has done it before, but there's not very many that I already crossed an ocean, you know, on the rowing team. So I thought, okay, I need to find a professional for mental health. I did everything. I started then meditation and I do quite a bit of yoga as well. I think it's just really good. Um, but I also went to see a guru, um, an Indian guru in India I was doing a week of, of yoga retreat with my girlfriend and this guy says, okay, well, you could do hypnosis and can I help you work on your subconscious level to bring um, certainties in your mind so that when you have to deal with things, you, you don't second guess, like it comes naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing, the way he works is, okay, there's 20 sentences, positive sentences that you want to feel like I'm doing this or, you know, trust your guts. You've done this before and, and puts you into hypnosis state and for you know like an hour he repeats it to you very slowly and he records that and then the idea is to listen to this throughout the next three four years before you do that so before going to bed put it in you actually fall asleep every time because it puts you in hypnosis mode (laughs) or you wake up you know four o'clock in the morning you can't sleep okay you listen to that and i think that really helped i totally think it helped and here's my thing the day before i left the second time was sleeping and my girlfriend said, hey, you talked in your sleep and you said, I'm doing this. Wow. Is that funny? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's and, awesome. Um, so, but the, the French man that you were talking about, he's a professional firefighters and he, he's, he's helping athletes with the mental side. I could be a soccer player where, you know, they finish, they do the world cup and there could be with stress. How do you deal with stress in, in a month? But there's, a thing that a thing or two that he he helped me with, and one is um, managing your alertness level. Okay, so he goes like this: He says, "Okay, when when you're a fireman, you, you go on an emergency. You don't know how long it's gonna last. It could be a fire that lasts three, four days. It could be longer. So you need to be able to manage your alertness level. And that means that let's say you're a fireman, you're on the fire, actually fighting the flames. You got to be le- alertness ten out of ten. But when you go back to the truck and to rest and eat a little bit three hours later, you need to be able to go down to six. The fire is still going on, but you don't want to be at a 10. And if you go back to the station, you need overnight, your colleagues are working on it. You need to be able to bring it down to a four. Okay, maybe the train on, you have to go back on fire, right? But yet, okay, so how do you do that with your boat? And the idea was, okay, if you're outside on the cockpit and there's a big wind weather, then you need to bring your a game so you're on alertness then but even though the weather won't change through the night when you go in the cabin you need to be able to go down to a six and rest so i was playing with that alertness level throughout Mm. and 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 then the next day if it's super calm you need to be able to be at a two like completely zen enjoy it even though Mm. the day before it was hell 
Yeah. Right. So the reframing method that you, you talked about is is um is crucial. I used it many many times, but one is a very significant. It was a half halfway point where I thought that when I reach halfway point, I would be yeah, it's great. Now it's downhill. It's just going home, and and it was the opposite. My my time was day forty nine instead of what I had calculated to be thirty five. So then, you know, I, I explained it. Uh, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time, and that crossing was eating an elephant. <laughs> so I reached halfway point. I ate half the elephant, and I want to move it to vomit that elephant. I'm done, <laughs> like I'm tired. <laughs> and then you know, the opposite was okay. I've got as much at least as I have done now, yeah. and. So the reframing was trying to see the reality of the of the situation in a different filter, right? So until then, it was I want to reach Hawaii. I want to I'm crossing from California to Hawaii. That was the goal is to reach Hawaii, and that failed super far. So how do you reframe that? And and Dave, my lens support, helped me a lot because in that moment I can't really think clearly. I said, okay, well, how about you you live in the moment? And that's when I recreated. Okay. Well, the, the goal shouldn't be reaching Hawaii. The, the goal should be to enjoy the journey to Hawaii. So it's going to be a living in the moment, day to day. What what happened in the past doesn't matter. Future, you know, future doesn't matter either. It's it's really just the moment, enjoy the moment, enjoy today, um, and I'll get there when I get there. So that's the reframing. There's a third method that is actually really cool. It's the impersonation, impersonalization, where you you imagine in your mind that you're somebody or something else. So let's say, you know, this morning I do I do sprints on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And in those sprints, you gotta be strong, like you go all, all out, right? So in that mind that moment, I'm Rafael Nadal, uh-huh. the tennis player, because he's he'll never quit the ball. Like he you know how he plays. Sure. You know, he's he'll he's like such mental strength. Now, I could have said, okay, I'm Superman or I'm a, I'm a gorilla. I'm so strong if I need to be strong. And he says, you could use this in, in many things. And then it's always good to, at the end, to say, okay, how did I feel thinking I was something else? And can I be, bring some of those qualities within me? And then, so that's mm-hmm. a work, mental work that is months and months. I would talk to uh, this French guy and say, okay, this is how I felt. You know, okay, when you train, Think about how you're going to, let's say again, the sprints. Super important work is, okay, so I know before you go on on the sprints, you say, okay, I'm going to go sprinting and I'm going to run out of breath and my heart rate is going to be super high. This is how I'm going to feel. Okay, how do I want to react to that feeling? I want to keep going. I'm not going to quit. Okay, and then you do it, right? And then when the moment arrives, then mentally you're prepared to what's going to happen, right? So, yeah. How do I use this thing? It's like, okay, I'm going out. It's going to be really stormy. Like I'm going to be swamped by the water coming over the cabin. How am I going to react when this happened? And so it's, it's, uh, envisioning also, you know, what could happen and then kind of be ready. Um, yeah. same like, for instance, when you, you drive your car and you pass a truck under the rain and then, you know, there's a lot of water coming on the windshield, then you know, there's going to be a lot of, beforehand you know it's going to happen then you say i'm going to stay straight it's going to be okay and when i pass the truck it's going to clean you know if 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 you know that beforehand it's going to be okay all right so i needed to to have them a training in the water where if i'm swamped with a wave i'll be fine 
And it's applicable with anything, you know, down when you're on the water, okay, here's what happened. I'll go against the current. I could be, you know, going sideways and I'm going to, what am I going to do if this happens? So it's, it's preemptively envisioning what could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I naturally do that. Like a visualization of like, whether I, I want to be successful at something or, uh, or like even on, on a bike ride today, I knew I was going to do this climb and I knew this last part it always gets to me, but I rode with somebody the other day that pushed me so much further than I thought I could push myself and was faster than me. And I was like, I'm just going to like kind of get that spirit and Mm. push a little harder because I know I'm capable of more. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when you can visualize yourself doing that beforehand, and then when you're in that moment, it almost gives you that ability to execute at that higher level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it comes with uh, experience, right? Probably things that I've done in the Yukon through the night, paddling through the night uh, are helping me without me actually knowing the lesson i just do it you know mm-hmm. you know um, it's just layers of experience uh, it's it's uh you know the the part that i also enjoyed learning about over this whole uh was over the, some of the other podcasts we've listened to is your decision to also augment the kayak paddling with the hobie drive uh, the Mirage Drive, and you said I, I, uh, one of my questions was, "Did you have a spare?" And it, it sounds like you I did, did yes. in that one hatch. Yeah. So you worked closely with Hobie some on making sure. I mean, it's quite a testament to that drive to go <laughs> ninety days. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, uh, so all the products are so solid. I'm really so the reasoning between behind it. Here, here's what it was. I had read Peter Bray, and he arrived, and his leg was atrophied. Uh, but Peter Bray had a kite, so he was fast. And I thought, okay, well, if I want to reach the beach and not being completely <laughs> like not being able to walk, I need to use the upper body and the lower body. And uh, as you know, the upper body, you know, there's a lot of rotation of the spine, the shoulders, the elbow, the wrist, anything. There's a lot of, that can go wrong when you paddle 12 hours a day. So having that alternative paddling uh, could be really useful. And And then my thought was, Okay, so in the morning, I'm going to have breakfast for, let's say, an hour you know, to rehydrate this freeze-dried meal. And maybe same for lunch, same for dinner. That's three hours where the boat is not moving because I need my hands. I can't paddle. So let's say I can use the, the Hobie Drive for three hours. I still go at two miles an hour. Okay, so that's six miles that I can do just when I eat. And six miles down 17 days, it's 420 miles. That's yeah. a fifth of the, tri- the, yeah, the trip. Right? So... Uh, so I need this drive. Now, I had to go against the grain of what people thought because a lot of people say, well, you're kayaking, but you're, you're really in a pale boat. And I said, <laughs> this is my, like, yeah, yeah I had to have the you know, shoulders because sometimes, you know, you, you could be influenced by what people think and the negative people you know, affect you more than positive people in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, and they'd say, um, yeah, it's not, it's not kayaking. It's not a kayak, by the way. You see how big it is. You have a cabin. And in the end, I just have to assert myself to say, okay, this is my adventure. This is my boat. Totally. My, you know, I, for me, safety is first. That's why I get such, such a big boat. I could have a slimmer boat, faster boat. But, you know, I've got two kids and I want to die. I love life. And this is what I want to do. And yeah. not listen to the naysayers. But And then having that drive was actually the, one of the really, really good decisions. Uh, because in some conditions, it's actually very efficient. I was going half a knot faster than the paddling. And, really? Uh, yes. At the very beginning, you know, you go west, but the wind and the current is going from north to south. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to go sideways to the wind. And let's say you have a 20 to 22 knots uh, wind. It's really hard on the side chop to have a good catch. And then, you know, the paddle is going to bleep around. So in the, in the beginning, it was really efficient to paddle, right? To paddle. Um, yeah. And on the downwind, the second half, it was better to paddle because then I could steer with my feet. It was really easy and I could feel the waves better. So having both was just great. And what, when I did it, just like I said, you know, I'd wake up, warm up by pedaling half an hour and then mm-hmm. I eat. And then once I was warm and I, I had read the ocean, I knew what the currents and the conditions were going to be, what the, the swell and the, you know, frequency of the waves. And the, then I would start to paddle for two hours and then I would pedal for two hours and I would break my day. So mentally it was really good to be able to say, okay, now I'm going to go and listen to music and, and pedal. It, it was really relaxed, that linear form of pedaling and take now a break. you're using your whole body too like you're keeping your legs oh yeah at least i i lost lost 20 pounds but mm-hmm. when i got to hawaii uh even i've seen the images i was standing great you know i still had not walked for 90 days so uh, there was some pressure on the joints on the on the knees and the hips after 20 minutes i had to sit down but i was still strong and now it's been a month i'm great i'm doing great i'm really happy about the decision that's incredible. It was, I mean, you had to use kind of a modified kayak stroke because of the, the boat and you had the splash guard on the side a little bit. Did that change? I mean, did that modify your stroke to some extent? I mean, you have a long oh, paddle, uh, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, it's a eight, 850 pound boat. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't just rip high cadence. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're naturally you'll go to a slower stroke. Um, and it would depend on the condition. Again, if, if, conditions were slow then i would go slow stroke but not very long you know not from the the top uh top uh top hand would not be super extended i would start like a middle stroke and stop at my hips like short stroke but Mm. but kind of long in the water and um not ripping through the water and then if if the following seas uh pushing you quite quite fast like Okay, so normally I would go like 1.9 to 2.1 miles an hour, nautical miles an hour, right? So it's faster than miles an hour. A little wave comes in the back, then it would push me to three miles an hour or four miles an hour. Some, there's, they were so big. What, the fastest was 7.6 nautical miles an hour. It's like <laughs> in crazy. An 800 pound boat. Yeah. <laughs> On the second half, it was just so pleasurable that there's three compa- components of the ocean, right? There's the, the wind and the wind waves. There's a current and then the swell. And the second half, it was sometimes I would have two of those that they were in the same direction and then I would get some speed. Once I had the three, it was so pleasurable. Then my stroke would change to, you know, more tipped up and then I would stop and let the wave glide. Ooh. And I would, yeah, I would actually get some surfing. That's wild. Uh, so, um, th- then, you know, if, if you're topping, have a little, the shoulder then you start flatten which is not great to have like a flat stroke but more of a touring stroke um, mm-hmm. and you change the angle blade in the in the water you change the depth of the paddles um i paddle with uh wing wing blades because I'm yeah, a i was gonna ask paddler. about that as opposed yeah. to just maybe like a low angle uh euro paddle yeah um so i changed my paddling stroke where i had zero angle on hmm. on, 
on the paddle, and that comes from Oskar Chalupski, the surfski paddler, you know, who said, well, we're taught that there's a shaft 65, 70, 75 degree angle, but what you're doing is twisting your, your wrist. And on my first crossing on the rowing, the ocean rowers do not flare the, the strokes. You know, you row square. Um, you, oh, you, use a, you use a tulip uh, paddle, uh, sorry, uh, oar, so that you don't twist, you don't make any extra wrist movement. And that's what I decided. Now, to the paddle itself, I had three different paddles. Um, the, the main one was uh, an oval shaft, and it was full carbon uh, wing paddle. And that's mm-hmm. what I used for surf ski. Obviously, it was a little bit longer. Um, and I was actually, actually changed the length of it, uh, depending on how the water felt. Sometimes, you know, you shorten it. Uh, you have to reach a little bit further in the water, but then that's what I want. I don't want to have the full paddle in, in the water. Mm-hmm. Or, um, then it would, it would be faster to do a higher cadence, cadence. Now, the two other ones I actually never used, they were for backup and more of touring blades. Um, more of a sea kayak kind of. Uh, oh, okay. So you, know? you had that with you. You just preferred the wing. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Interesting. Cool. And I like this, you you know, the adjustable length shaft, you know, some people poo-poo an adjustable length shaft, but depending on the day in the conditions you were in, I see like how it could make a lot of sense because if you're on a downwind run, you want this nice high vertical, powerful stroke. But if you're just slogging it out in flat water, you probably want a short, you know, more mellow stroke. Yeah, so, totally. That's awesome. Well, Cyril, I've got a hard hitting question that I'm dying to know. And I'm, I'm sure everyone out there is. How does one shit? <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, we ain't let our kids ask questions. I think two of our six total Look, kids. How does he poo? Yeah. <laughs> it's typical. Uh, I mean, so on a, on a rowing boat, you have a, you know, this big bucket, the Home Depot one, the orange one, and you put a, <laughs> an actual seat on it. There's a seat that you can have. And the technique there is to put water. Uh, maybe, you know, 10%. And then so it falls in the water to easier to clean, just toss it out the, uh, out there. Now I don't have room for that big bucket. So I did many trials, believe me. And, <laughs> yeah, and many times I woke up in the middle of the night, of, what am I going to use? And, and you, know, you could use maybe some stuff or, you know, like people use at the hospital that you, know, you have to do it when you're laying down, like old Chamber people. Pot right. And try that. It didn't work for me. Um, so I finally found a, a dessert bowl. So it's not a salad bowl. It's a smaller size. It's bigger than a, than a cereal bowl. And that was a perfect size. So what I did is I didn't want to clean it. So I found at Trader Joe's, they have those, um, you know, when you buy fruits, they have those plastic that you can use. Uh-huh. And those plastics are made of algae and they're biodegradable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. They're like compostable, biodegradable. Yeah. So I, I put that in a liner and then I would sit on it and do my business and then I could toss it in the ocean and I would still be, you know, good for the environment or not too bad. It would just degrade over time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you eat so much for a thousand calories a day. So you have to do three okay. times a day. Well, yeah. this and is you, the first. You got to have a system. Yeah. This is an SMU, a product. I mean, I know injection molders. We could have this on your website in three months. <laughs> this is this is a product everybody needs. Uh, at least uh, but us, us you know, too. when you go on adventures like this, it doesn't matter. I mean, you when you're on a four man team, you poop in front of your friends because you do it outside, right? And they're rowing, and you're in front. You get naked, butt naked. You do it, and they have to do it too. And, and 
the, the same afternoon. So you you don't go into these adventures for comfort, all right? Yeah. So having a wet sleeping bag, eating cold meals, not not hot anything, you know, no fresh fruit, uh, getting sores on on the hands and and you know mushrooms like uh, under the nails. This is like secondary. Who cares? Not sleeping well. If it doesn't affect your effectiveness or you know safety, it's okay. And in fact, it enhances everything when you come back. Uh, you have a hot shower, like dry a pillow, or you know you can change clothes every day instead of every ten days. Uh, it's a perspective shift, right? Right, and it's so good. You come back and you, you open the fridge and you've got fresh fruits, and you turn on the, the the thing and you've got hot water, and you can have so easy. You make tea, blah blah blah. All these simple things. It's like the opposite just of entitlement. Yes, <laughs> being grateful for every little bit that you have. Yes, every little convenience on the human side too, like hugging people and, and kids and, and hearing like birds singing. All this is just so beautiful. We're not used to it. You know, I love that, man. I, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited. What you mentioned that you were, you know, hoping to visit some of the cities and kind of share the boat mm-hmm. Valentine and, and, mm-hmm. and your story. And I just, I can't, I can't wait for that type of tour. What is the future? Where, where is Valentine? What's the future of your boat? Your other girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> so right now she's on the pier in Sausalito. Um, I had to fix a few things. My water maker broke at day 46. So I, I dismantled it and brought it to the supplier to see if they can salvage that. Uh, I want to improve the steering lines by changing a few things, but I, I don't know. At this point, I'm not going to decide if I'm going to use her again to for another, another ocean crossing. I need I need a break. Uh, to be totally honest, and it's been a month and a week. And last week, I was actually a little bit down. I, I had emotionally, you know, the the post adventure depression mm-hmm. syndrome, and not not a depression per se, but I felt like, okay, hey, what am I going to do with my life? What a, you know, I need a job. I need. To, what do I want to do? And I felt like. As much as I'd love to share my adventure with people, I felt they couldn't really understand what I had mm. been through. And there was like the, the disconnect um, between, I mean, it was a spiritual journey. Mm. You know, it was, it was like you fear for your life. So you're, you have such a connection with the ocean. Uh, uh, and you don't see anybody for 90 days. You go into a space that is so different. And most people are interested, but they don't really get it. Mm-hmm. And they'll never will. So then I'm like, okay, who do I share it with? And and some people that have done ultra endurance events will get me. Other people that have not done it, but they have that sensitivity. They have that uh, empathy naturally, and they can put themselves into your shoes. They get it. Others will ask me stupid questions like, how do you poop? You know? <laughs> <laughs> of course. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, don't. Uh, That's my second point on notes uh, is to not shrink what you did. But so yeah, yeah. I actually, you know, because it, it's exactly the more you talk uh, about it, it became almost. Can, no. So you know, yeah, yeah. You have to really protect this. I did. I, I want just like I was a beginner before. I want everybody to be. Um, to be have that have that little bite of my adventure because maybe it's gonna ha- inspire people. But I've I've been on ten podcasts the last ten days. I've yeah. I've done so many wow. interviews. Like you put my name, and, and at the same time, it's it's like I I want to be an adventurer. So if I want to be an adventurer. I need to be capitalizing on that adventure. So I need to have my story said on on many websites and you know. And and now I'm doing a lot of talks in in kayaking groups. 
uh, that are passionate, you know, they, they want to know and, and that's great. But now I, at some point, I think I'll have to, to stop that. And even though I have, I'm requested to just say, look, um, at this point, I need to, to rest a little bit and take, take it easy just for myself, yeah. you know, and a routine. I need a bit of routine. I could see that. In fact, one of my second thing here was like, okay, you're back on land. How do you hold on to the cereal that was at sea for 90 days in that spiritual place you were at? And then how do you juxtaposition that with these opportunities that are coming your way and wanting to uh, tell your story to help fund and inspire future adventures, you know, as well as like, you know, you have this amazing opportunity for your brand. How do you balance these two versions of yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the one on the ocean is, is gone. I mean, I have souvenirs and I'll, I'm working on a book and a documentary film and it's, it's, it's happening these days. So it's, it's really good. I'm happy. I've been filming for four years, you know, and, and again, I want, I truly, honestly, I want to share with the world, um, what I did. Cause I think it's, there's a lot to be said about this country. You know, when, when people say America, you could do anything you want. And it's, it's really true. And sometimes I feel like as an immigrant, I believe more in the American dreams than the American themselves because mm. they were soaked in it and they don't know how lucky they are. You could do anything. And it's also a time of the society where literally you could do anything. You could start a YouTube channel in uh, two minutes. You could do, uh, but at the same time, people feel like they can't do it. They're in the right race. They're stuck. So I want this document to come out and it's going to come out. Um, so there's two things, uh, but uh, the cereal in the ocean that that's gone you know i have to adapt back to the normal land land life um uh now i'm, I'm there's something else that was bothering me also it's like, okay what are you going to do next next and i just came out of this life-changing adventure you know i did, don't know how to deal with it in my, my own mind um it's 90 days where like everything changed my perspective of life has changed and and wanted me okay what do you do are you going to do down the amazon cross another ocean like okay i need maybe right now i just want to have tea with my girlfriend you know yeah, and yeah. and i feel like the pressure of everybody else in my life deciding what i want to do is a bit too much so i guess you've earned I it man. To, yeah i want i want to enjoy um like next year i'm I'm going to do a few races that are really dear to my heart i want to do the, maybe the yukon river quest or the texas water safari with friends and and then once you know you need to rest I need to rest. And then once the, the fire will come back again, I'll read all the books and then there's something, somebody's going to talk to me about doing an adventure and what the heck, yeah, let's do it. And then I'll be ready, you know? You got to create the space so you're yes. open to what's what's ahead. Right now, you don't have the space. Mm -hmm. um, well, you're even an endurance podcaster, Cyril. <laughs> if you've done <laughs> 10 in 10 days. Yeah, okay. uh, so thank you so much. Uh I, I, yeah, I don't want to keep you too much. We gave you, we, we had an hour here for you and I think we're at that place, but I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being on here, helping tell this incredible story, uh, sharing, sharing it with us a little bit. And, um, I'm looking no, forward thank to you. paddling. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate so much. Um, you know, your, your questions were really good and, and more like you knew the story, you followed the whole journey. So it's, it's a pleasure to actually go into detail. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's been a lot of journalists are just, okay, send me the press release. I want the pictures. 
and they just put it on the website the next day. You know, I, I could see that you guys were touched, and that's why I'm I'm really happy to be on your podcast and share it with with your guys, your audience. Well, we we look forward to hearing about your break, and uh, we'll we'll as us shameless reps will do, we'll uh, pump on the water 360, and <laughs> uh, and uh, and and keep everybody posted on what you just saw. Uh, I'm really looking forward Absolutely. to seeing the footage. That's yeah, going to be beautiful. Oh, you got and, a couple yeah, of fans here for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. We'll, yeah, we'll and there's going to be more adventures. Uh, I can't tell you what, but I'm 46. <laughs> I still have 45 years to live in my life. And adventure is a big day is, is, is what I live for. So uh, maybe well, I'd love to get you in the together. bow of my canoe anytime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you work in the camera the whole time. Up <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks so much, Joe. We appreciate your time. I love it. Thank you. 